The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Is your company about to be involved in a merger or acquisition? No matter what side of the deal you are on, this can be a daunting and very risky part of business. Welcome to Beyond Financials, the people side of mergers and acquisitions with Sonia Weigel. On each show, you'll hear from top executives representing a variety of industries. We'll discuss the success stories, best practices, and lessons learned that can help you engineer a smooth transition that's good for your business and celebrated by your people. Now, here's your host, Sonia Weigel. Hello, and welcome to Beyond Financials, the people side of mergers and acquisitions. I'm your host, Sonia Weigel. Every week we come together to discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly of mergers and acquisitions with guests who bring expertise and season experience to the conversation. Think of this as your once-a-week consulting hour where you can gain powerful insights and knowledge about the successes, failures, and lessons learned through the wisdom and experience of guests that each week come from a variety of industries and represent all sides of a deal. As the title indicates, we'll focus on the people side of M&A, specifically culture, behaviors, human capital strategy, and processes. How often have we seen deals that were beautifully architected from a financial or legal perspective only to fall apart post-close because of culture clashes? My firm, SWC Management Consulting, works with companies every day to navigate the very important but often tricky world of organization transformation. We help our clients ensure these transformations are executed flawlessly and in a way that drives the success of their business. I love getting to work with our clients to bring tangible impact through human resources. Helping companies to harness their most important asset, their people, is why I do this. It's my hope to use this radio show as a platform to help many of you in the same way. By hosting an interactive show that gives the listening audience access to the best minds in this business for the benefit of themselves and their companies. So if during the conversation today you have a question or you'd like to contribute to the discussion, please feel free to call in or email us. You can also reach me via email after the show if you like. So let's get the show started. I have with me today Stefan A.J. Loire of Workplace Dynamics and Mark Suen of Marsu LLC. Stefan's main areas of interest are strategy and execution, specifically strategy development under high levels of uncertainty and effective process design and implementation. Prior to leading Workplace Dynamics Consulting Group, Stefan was the manager of Richardson Consulting Department. Stefan held leadership positions at global companies where he managed operations and prepared the companies for sale. Previously, Stefan consulted for Fortune 100 companies at Decision Strategies International on their strategic planning initiatives and specializing in life science, energy, and high tech. Stefan has been a frequent speaker at the Association of Financial Professionals and has led workshops on intellectual property, valuation, and monetization strategies. Mark Suen retired as chairman and CEO of NewPage, the largest coded paper producer in North America in 2010 and is now president of Marsu LLC, a consulting and investment firm as well as being on the boards of Apvian and Workplace Dynamics. 
Mark has led dramatic turnarounds through a series of management initiatives, including the execution of a restructuring plan that included greater focus on the customer, training programs for all employees, the closure or sale of unprofitable facilities, and upgrades to outdated equipment. Mr. Suen earned his PhD in inorganic chemistry from Washington State University and is a graduate of Hope College where he received a BA in chemistry. Hello, Stefan and Mark. Welcome, and thank you both for being on the show today. Thank you, so So, uh, Stefan, why don't you first tell us a little bit about workplace dynamics and it, the impact that it seeks to have on the merger and acquisition space? Absolutely. And trying to understand the level of employee engagement. And through this past 10 years, we've accumulated a lot of information uh, close to 400 million data points to be exact. This is giving us a very keen insight into what works in terms of uh, employee engagement, what is successful that's driving employee engagement. More importantly, if we look very important uh, information in how far apart two cultures and or two organizations to support during the deal phase the very important aspect of that cultural alignment and or how to make those two cultures merge them together or if we have an acquirer and acquiree how which piece of the culture do we need to focus on in order to have a successful uh, merger basically. So the work that Workplace Dynamic uh, does in this space is really one of an advisor uh, trying to give some very Precious information on the pre-deal side. You know how likely is it to succeed on the on the people front. On the during um, the integration phase, we can advise and we can support uh, what are the things to do to make things go smoothly. And on the very important post-deal side, we also have the ability to measure ongoingly how things are going and how successful we've been uh, at merging those two cultures. Uh, that's fantastic. So I, I know that Workplace Dynamics is very experienced, as you said, in um, using data points driven from or derived from your survey instrument to inform some of that. So talk to us a little bit about the role data plays in um, assessing employee engagement, um, and not only in general, but specifically if you are contemplating going into a transaction, how, how would you bring those data points into your due diligence thinking? Great. We look at data as the impartial arbiter of what we say. So it is not an opinion, it is not a philosophy, it's an objective reality. What are we looking at? Um, The role of data is to present the information, to inform the decision, we now, with the 10 years that we have, with the data science that, uh, that has been applied in the research, we feel very comfortable in terms of our point of view and the recommendation we make. So the data is there to inform. There is, of course, the story behind the data, the recommendation that comes from those insights that is, that is as, uh, very important as well. So I would say we leverage uh, and apply the the what is being learned in order to provide the prioritization. So for example, if we have a culture that is extremely engineering uh, driven, that is very uh, effective and, and place a lot of stock in terms of process and analysis, um, 
a company that is extremely execution-minded and operation-minded uh, looking to merge with a company that is a bit more on the uh, learning side, that is more experiential, that has uh, a higher degree of, of, of comfort with ambiguity and, and can tolerate things not being fully script, you will see this reflected in the data, right? You will see very different um, indicators showing up. And uh, not that those two cultures cannot necessarily be uh, get together. There is benefit in both, as we know. You know, it's all about where you are on the dial. But, uh, you know, a great example of, uh, of a failed merger that we all know, the, the Delmer Chrysler one, was, was a bit of, uh, of that story. We, we had yeah. a very performance-driven, highly uh, engineering-regulated uh, uh, organization that tried to, to bring a much more design-oriented organization, if I can characterize Chrysler that way. Yeah. And uh, in addition to the nationality and the difference in, in, in culture, other two countries, uh, I think that that was probably a, a big reason for for why it didn't work out. So hopefully, you know, not hopefully, but we know that you know our, the data would show these type of things and, and allow for perhaps more preparation uh, and or a decision that you know this not may not be the best move at this time. Well, it, it's so fascinating because there are so many indicators in that particular transaction that were sort of red flags. It wasn't one or two cultural indicators, but several <laughs> that perhaps would have informed uh, a, a different path. Looking back on it now, I guess it's easier to see. But Mark, I know that you've been in this space a long time and uh, you've seen a lot of uh, great transactions and uh, I'm sure you've seen some that, you know, in, in, in terms of, of people and cultural alignment uh, didn't necessarily go the way they they uh, were hoped to have gone. I uh, would love to get your just initial thoughts uh, uh, and bring you into the conversation here uh, would benefit from your, your perspective and your experience in this as well. Okay, well, I've been in the business world for about 50 years, so I have seen a lot of acquisitions, a lot of mergers. As you say, I've seen some very successful ones. I've seen some serious failures. Uh, clearly, you've got to do the upfront work on the financial and the strategic moves and all those, the legal act activities, et cetera, and those are all important. As Stefan indicates, uh, the more upfront indication you can get about the, the situation as far as the culture and how people work and how they behave uh, and look for those differences so you can upfront decide how you're going to deal with them, uh, those are all important. <clears throat> but what I see actually the biggest issues from a people standpoint in a, in a merger or an acquisition, particularly mergers, is that uh, a lot of times you lose your best people. Uh, so retention is a problem. Recognize that in most mergers you're going to have a lot of redundancy, so you're going to want to have people, some people leave anyway, but frequently it's not the people you wanted to have leave. It's uh, some of your better people. Secondly, is losing productivity and innovation due to the organization being completely upset by the transaction. And if that upset situation stays for, you know, years, in some cases it does, then the whole merger is very mediocre at best and, or destined to a significant failure. 
And then finally, some passive aggressive resistance on significant portions of the organization as a reaction to the behavior and the words that are used during and after the transaction. So the thing I see is that there are a few key elements that tend to drive this. Number one, the biggest emotional reaction to mergers and acquisitions throughout the organizations, not at the top, because they've dealt with that, is fear. I fear is I may lose my job, my responsibilities may be changed, maybe for the worse. I might have to move to keep my job. Where's the headquarters, new head, headquarters going to be? The new management probably have no idea of who I am and how well I've performed, so I'm kind of starting at ground zero after having worked for 20 years. My pay might be cut. They might stop producing the product that I've been selling. I might have to start selling what was a competitive product. And what are my customers going to think when I'm out now selling this product that I've been downgrading for the last 20 years? And just a general fear of the unknown. So we have to recognize that when people are in in fear, when they have a fear, they're afraid of what's going on, when they don't feel safe, they don't produce very well. They're worrying about, my God, I got a kid in 11th grade. And if I have to move, am I going to take him with us? Or are we going to leave him with friends so he can finish his senior year? All kinds of practical implications. I have elderly parents that live just down the road that I can take a peek in and check on them. Now if I have to move, am I going to be able to do that? Uh, I'm trained to do so-and-so. Now they're going to ask me to do something else. So there's a lot of turmoil that goes on when you make an announcement of a merger or an acquisition that distracts people from doing their work or to actively and proactively getting on board to make this new merger or acquisition work. The yeah. second key reaction... Actually, is, I'm going I'm to ask you to hold that thought. This okay, is, we're really sure. sort of getting, getting into the good stuff here. I hate to interrupt you, no <laughs> but problem. we're going to take, we're take a, a quick break. We'll pick up this conversation again uh, with Stefan and with Mark in just a few minutes. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in so far, and we'll see you in just a minute. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Higher education faces lots of changes. If you are a student, educator, or in the workforce, you'll want to tune into Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Your host, Dave Goldberg, and his guests will explore the innovations that higher education adopts as it reinvents itself. The world of higher education is constantly changing. Stay on top and stay ahead of the rest. Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Does your organization lack proper leadership? We're not necessarily talking about experience, but about how to face the changing dynamic of leadership today. 
Sometimes the people we lead know more. Old ways don't work anymore, and the comfort zone just becomes too easy. Listen for Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. We'll show you how you can adapt and develop your leadership skills to today's workplace. Every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Beyond Financials, the people side of mergers and acquisitions with Sonia Weigel. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to info at sweigelconsulting.com. Now, back to Beyond Financials, the people side of mergers and acquisitions. Welcome back, everybody. Um, We were just in the middle of a fascinating discussion around the impact um, on employees that a merger or acquisition often has. And it's amazing to me um, how often these things are not taken into consideration. And Mark Suen of Marsu LLC was getting into some tremendous detail, some very helpful detail around some of the things that uh, need to be paid attention to. So I'm going to turn it back over to you, Mark, and ask you to sort of continue down that path for us. Um, great information. Okay. Well, the key is, as we started off saying, that fear is, is one of the primary emotions involved in any merger acquisition. And by the way, that can be for the company that's being taken over. It can also be in the people who are in the company that's taking it over because they don't know who's going to be redundant. And so that whole concern about my job and where do we go, my response, those things are a concern on both sides. And as I'll get to in a little bit, Resolving those fears early on is a critical element because until I feel safe, I'm not putting much effort into making this uh, merger work. The second key reaction is once I find out my job is safe is an understanding and concern about will the new organization respect me and my accomplishments. They don't know me. They don't know that I saved this whole product line in the past several years. They may reduce resources, but not the work that has to be done, so now we're all going to have to work twice as hard to keep things uh, moving. The question that gets asked at the water cooler is, is all this being done so the guys at the top get bigger bonuses and stock options? What about us people down here? Do they appreciate the success that this company's had in the past? Do they appreciate how we've grown over the last 20 years now that they're taking us over? Or do they dis this? Do they like our culture, or are they going to completely change it? And so those are the thoughts that are going through the minds of the people that uh, are being acquired or even the acquirer. Now, the, the key thing I've learned over the years is that those have to be explicitly uh, addressed, because if you don't, you have many months, maybe years, of really poor productivity, and all these great synergies that you are going to get just don't work out because people exactly. are not proactively going after it. So that's the, the, the issue. And we can come back a little bit later and talk about what do you, as the leader of the organization, 
what should you do to see that those things are resolved quickly, not over months or years? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the key, right? I mean, it, it does come down to, to leadership, and I think often um, the, the, the deal team or the executives involved in the deal uh, are, are so focused on the tactics of the transaction that they lose sight of those things. And so, you yeah, know, they're, is, they're what, talking to Wall Street, they're talking to the banks they're borrowing money from, uh, <clears throat> they're talking to the press. There's not a lot of thought given to, I wonder how the people in the organization will feel about this, because we think it's great, because we're at the top. We think this is fantastic, but how will they feel about it? Yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, Stefan and I were talking a little earlier before the show started. We were talking about how um, the environment now, because it's it's really a very nice and friendly environment. It has been, and, and, and it looks to be, to continue to be even more so, an, an economically friendly environment for M&A activity. And so you've got a lot of private equity folks, a lot of hedge fund folks, venture capital looking to do um, lots of transactions. You've got a lot of corporations looking to grow very quickly um, in inorganic ways. But if they're not equipped with the kinds of information and insight that we're talking about today, you know, what, what's what's the risk for them? So, you know, Stefan, I mean, how do we get how do we get at the table to um, insert ourselves to have these kinds of discussions? Because the the finance guys, the legal guys, they're they're moving fast, right? They yep. they they it makes sense from a transaction. They you know they see the numbers. This is where we're headed. We're going to bring these kind of returns in this amount of time. But no one asked the people how they were going to get it done. Yep, and uh, well, I think we can we can cite some some numbers here to to, to ground us in reality. So, uh, thanks to KPMG and, and Stern, we know that thirty uh, percent of mergers don't create any value, and and a bit worse is fifty three percent of them actually destroy shareholder value. So we have we have eighty three percent failure rate uh, when it comes to, to this. It's not a small so, number. <laughs> it's, not, it's not insignificant. So so for the 17% that succeed, great. Um, so, you know, it, it's, uh, if you are a PE, if you are a VC, if you are in that world where truly, you know, you have a vested interest in success, you're, you're, you're not just, you know, making the kingdom bigger uh, in, in, as the motivator for the merger, you really have, you need to return to the portfolio and you have to deliver, uh, then you need to, to pay attention. Uh, and there again, we know that roughly 26% of the, the success can be predicted by the cultural alignment. And to Mark's point, the cultural alignment, more than just the thing I was talking in the beginning of, of measuring how far apart are we, what are the elements we need to pay specific attention to, is once we have that analysis done, when we know which culture will predominate, which which elements of the the, the each cultural uh, element of the companies we will bring in, is there opportunity for some you know one plus one equal three type of uh, of, uh, of bringing together? This is really dealing with the people aspect, and, and I think Mark made the perfect case for the need for, for leadership to go in and address this. Mark has been excessively successful in his professional life by, by uh, bringing some methodology with, to recognize that people are driven by emotion. And I, and I think really I, I, I would very much enjoy his perspective on, on this because 
I can cite the data and the numbers yeah. and, uh, and, and the analysis, uh, certainly, but he's lived it um, extremely close and has some very personal success story that I think your audience would actually very much enjoy. Okay, so what say you, Mark? <laughs> okay. Well, let me, let me describe what I believe was one of our more successful uh, mergers. Uh, this was a, this ended up being about uh, 3,000 employees were affected when you added the two companies together. And at the end of the day, we wanted to we saw ourselves being able to uh, eliminate about 300 positions because of redundancies. But in addition, we had um, these we were competitors and we're now merging, so we had um, a redundancy in brands, we had a redundancy in uh, supply chains, etc. So there were all sorts of things that had to be changed and decisions that had to be made. The challenge with doing that after you close is the fact that uh, everybody's upset. Nobody knows if I got a job or don't I have a job. If I'm a supplier, will I continue to be a supplier or won't I be a supplier, etc. And so the disruption really messes up your uh, your getting into and, and getting your synergies and getting that that uh, merger off the ground. So what we did instead is we formed a team of about 30 people from each company, and they were put aside in a separate uh, office and said, here are all the things that you need to make decisions on. You're not allowed to be involved in the running of either company anymore. And you need to come up and come and make upfront decisions on the following things. You need to decide, come recommend to us who's going to stay as a VP of marketing, who's going to stay as a VP of sales, who's going to stay as a head of manufacturing, et cetera, and your rationale for doing that. You've got to come back and make a recommendation as to what, are the, what brands are going to survive and which ones are not going to survive. They worked for about three months to address every one of the issues, including the personnel issues that were going to be addressed. They came back to the senior management of both organizations and uh, made recommendations. We agreed. The important thing was, on the day that we closed, we were able to announce essentially every critical element of the merger. The people who did not were not going to have a job, we met with them, almost all 300, the two days before the closing and described for them their severance package, the work that we would do to help them find additional employment uh, and what all how we were going to get help them with their resumes and the rest of it. On the day of closing, we then pulled everybody else in the organization together and we were able to review for them, here's the new organization. We have already talked to the people who are leaving, and they have these severance packages, and here's what we're going to be doing to help them get a position. And everyone else that we're now talking to, your jobs are safe, or here's the modifications that we see in the jobs that people are going to be doing. Now, what we did by doing that is this period of feeling unsafe was very short because we immediately, the people who were going to lose their jobs and their positions knew it ahead of time and they were focused on how do I find another job. 
the rest of the people knew they were staying, they were going to be part of the new organization. And so they, while still having the concern about, wow, this is a major change and how are we going to do this, et cetera, the issues around brand development, supply chains, et cetera, those decisions were all made. And so now they had to simply get on, uh, start focusing their energies on, okay, <clears throat> how are we going to do this? How are, we, how are we going to implement this, et cetera? And so the amount of time they felt uneasy and unsafe about whether I have to move or whether this has to happen or not was very short because some of them did have to move, but they knew it right away and could start dealing with uh, how am I going to deal with the move. The issue of branding, culture, et cetera, we also tried to uh, address that so that people knew up front This was a critical move for both companies because the industry was becoming more and more competitive. This was going to significantly improve the breadth of our product line. It was going to lower our costs, et cetera. So the point I try to make is that the more upfront you can be and the more explicit you can be about what's going to take place the day that you actually announce what's taking place, you shorten the time of uncertainty, you short the time that people have to worry about stuff, and they can now begin to focus on what can we do to help make this thing successful. And that made a world of difference, because I've seen other ones where the uncertainty went on for a year or two, and issues took a long time to get resolved, and it was just a mess. Yeah, there's definitely value to putting together a strategic um, and intentional communications plan around these things. And um, I, I think people do feel better, um, much better, when they know well, the key what's there, happening the key, when. Yeah, the key there for us was we made the decisions before so that when people heard about the merger, they heard the answer. They heard the answer. That's fantastic. As opposed to saying we're going to lose 300 people but we're not quite sure who yet right or 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 when or how are they exactly. these are the things that make 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 people uncomfortable and uh cause productivity to to immediately right. cease um so let's take another quick break um thank you everybody for tuning in so far it's been a fantastic discussion uh we can take a real quick break and we'll be right back uh with Stephen hagular and mark suet right after this short break thank you Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you are in the sales field or maybe don't even know that you are, you need a plan to be successful. Every day we are engaged in business and don't even realize that it all comes down to sales. We all have something to say and need to motivate others to the same way of thinking. Sales Execution Optimization, the new SEO, is the show that gets you thinking and speaking whatever the product or service. Host Bill Bush will give you the tips you need to succeed. Listen every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. Savvy business owners, learn how auspicious timing can have a positive influence on business decisions and strategies. You can achieve your goals while creating a competitive edge in your given field. Tune into Illuminating Feng Shui with host Kathleen Zamansky, where classical feng shui and Chinese metaphysics work together to help you discover your strengths and use them at the right times. Tune in every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you pursuing your passions in business? 
Is your purpose integrated into your brand? Are you telling your story? Building a thriving business stems from authentic communication that serves your audience, champions big ideas, and generates big impact. Learn how to grow your business in a more meaningful way by tuning into the Soul Shill Hour with host Francis Leary. It's more than business development. It's soul and inspiration, too. Listen live every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Beyond Financials, the people side of mergers and acquisitions with Sonia Weigel. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to info at sweigelconsulting.com. Now, back to Beyond Financials, the people side of mergers and acquisitions. Welcome back, everybody. Um, So let's talk a little bit about the specific um, value proposition that Workplace Dynamics brings to this space, um, and that's your your survey data. That's really what sort of drives everything. It's the leader behind it. How how does that show up in this space, and how do you utilize that um, in a way to to inform a merger or an acquisition? Well, the really it's it's uh, to achieve the things that that Mark highlighted earlier. You have. A limited amount of time before once you've decided to go before you announce and and then the time to close all the reviews so time is of the essence there is a lot to do and small or large organizations have, have a lot on their plate at that moment so what the what the data uh, what the analysis of the two cultures allows you to do is not only just measure how far apart you are or close you are but it's going to really look at where to act in terms of priorities and address those really key things that Mark was alluding to. How, what are the departments that are most likely to experience uh, the highest level of fear or the highest level of threat? Uh, what are the managers, what are the group within each organization that uh, we need to focus specific attention, either because they are the largest one targeted by the synergy we're talking about, or they are the one that we're going to have to stretch their uh, outside of their comfort zone because of the markets we're going after and or the new product or services we, 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 are, uh, we are acquiring. So that's the data here because of you know, the history and, and the database that we have, we can really put um, uh, Highlights, you know, th- those those specific areas where, where attention needs to be needs to be paid. So really rapidly, you know, just by taking a survey, there is no uh, six months of interviews and consultants that run around uh, during that period. So very very rapidly, we can bring those insights to the leadership team and put together a plan in place so that we can tactically execute on the things that Mark was was referring to. And and I believe that's that's the value. Uh, added that that we bring at workplace dynamics because we have the ability to say there is there is where the tensions are mm-hmm. going to be there is 
what we recommend is a priori uh, interim of actions and then deliver the action plan. So we, we, I would we, add to that that uh, if I could, one, one of the things our our data allows us to do now because we have so much of that in our ability to really go after that mega data and understand it is it allows us to understand a little bit what the what kind of employees you have in different uh, parts of the organization. Some are very eager and take on tasks and and challenges readily, and some others are very uh, fearful. They're very, uh, they want to have things just as they were 10 years ago, et cetera. And we can identify those through the work that we've done and the surveys that we do by the way people answer the questions. And importantly, in the way we do the survey, it's an anonymous survey, they also can put comments. And so we, we evaluate the comments to understand what the different parts of the organization are saying. And what that allows you to do is to say, pinpoint, here's an organized part of the organization that's going to have real trouble accepting this and moving on. Here's another part of the organization that's eagerly going to grab it and go because that's kind of the way the, develop, the culture they've developed in that part of the organization. So it allows you to pinpoint what you do and how you do it so you save a lot of time and you spend your time where the needs are, not across the whole organization. And so what do you do? So, so uh, you know, the, the data and the survey um, results point you to certain pain points or, uh, you know, enable you to prioritize your efforts. When you find out what's going on, you know, what are, what are the, the uh, interventions that you design? To solve well, the first thing you do is you talk to, you, you sit down and review the data with the managers, the people that are managing that particular organization, and you show them the information, the data, that, uh, so they can get a sense of, so why, what is it that seems to be leading this organization to be kind of passive, uh, not terribly, uh, uh, not, not able to really grab a hold and solve problems, et cetera, so they're very much kind of stuck in the mud. And then work with that individual and say, what kind of steps do we need to do? They're going to need a lot more hand-holding than the organization that's eager to take on a new product, a new task, a new challenge. And so you're going to have to up front say, how are we going to get them through this so they begin to get safe, feel safe and, and uh, respected so that they're willing to put their shoulder behind the wheel? Now, solving that problem in the organization is going to be not a one-day deal. It's going to be something right. the manager is going to have to work at for some period of time. But they can do a lot to get the organization ready for that kind of change by the way they start interacting with them, building the rapport and the trust so that they are less concerned when this occurs and trust that management will, in fact, take them where they need to go. So, Stefan, how do you in how do you convince a leadership team to take the time to not only um, do the kind of survey work that would give them this very important data, but then to do the 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 after work essentially necessary to to solve the problems that the data uncovers? How do they how do they do that? How do they find the time to do that or motivation to do that in the midst of everything else that's going on? Um, that they're responsible for in terms of the merger and the acquisition? How do I do that? Well, I tend to point to the stats that I mentioned. Okay? You, you have an 83% failure rate. So 
if if the economic motives is the economy <laughs> is the one behind behind the rational for, for the transaction, it's it's usually an easy discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, people do want these things to succeed. They we are getting better at you know identifying the synergy, evaluating the deals, looking at all those things. You know, we we take the goodwill, we explain every dollar of it with an actual either gain on the top line or saving on the bottom one. Um, less and less dollars are, are being explained by, you know, the strategic alignment things. So we have the data. We know the culture alignment is a big one. We know that it drives 26% of, of the likelihood of uh, success. So it, it's not a difficult discussion when we have it uh, because there is a bit of a selection bias. The people that approach us know that it's important. Right. Uh, if you are still in the uh, on the camp, uh, on the side of, yeah, it's not really important, I, uh, I, good luck I, I wish you good luck. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, the, well, the, the stat is not on your side. <laughs> I would add to that that uh, we have quite a bit of consulting experience now in with a number of tools that we can help that organization, the manager of that organization use to make those transitions. It's not like we tell you, well, okay, you've got a growth on your toe, and uh, he says, what do I do about it? We say, well, we'll look at it next year and see if you still have the growth. We have tools and ideas and suggestions that we can work with that manager to help them make that change. And these are tools that we've tested over 30 years uh, to how they can help organizations get through that and move on in a very uh, rapid fashion. And so we don't just leave you out there and say, well, you've got a problem. Uh, we're ready to work with you to help you solve that problem. So, and, and the problem really comes down to employee engagement. So let's talk exactly. a little bit about what drives employee engagement and, and what you're seeing. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, how, how, do we, uh, how do we apply those principles to this scenario? Well, thank you. That, that, so this is, this is our birth story, right? Employee engagement has been the things we've been measuring for 10 years. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, 14 million employees have taken our surveys. Uh, you know, 7,000 organization uh, annually. So when we run those top workplace programs throughout the country, so we we have the data, uh, we have been mining the data, but we also, as Mark said, we have the science behind that. So it's not just our opinion uh, and or a philosophy. We come at it from the authority of it has worked. This is what the top companies that are yielding a 30% premium back to their shareholders are doing. Mm-hmm. So measuring it and, and more important, impacting it is really where, where, where we feel extremely confident. What distinguish a top workplace from uh, a non-top workplace is their employee engagement. What drives employee engagement? The key components that we have on this and that we know are, are the most important uh, are the following. We, we know my manager is is the very, very important one. We know that uh, effectiveness, how effective are we, are we as an organization is, is important. How aligned are we as an organization is important. And the connections, 
within the organization. So how do I relate with my team, my coworkers, the organization at large is important. So there is a number of factors that are underneath this and there is, a, again, a number of things that can be uh, done to, to affect those things. But the, the, the key things we need to, to, to say is engagement is some people don't want to be engaged. You, you just don't create, you create the culture that draws the people to that culture, that want to be engaged in that culture. It's not necessarily, you cannot just transfer the energy. Right. You have to, have, you have to attract the people to yes. that thing, that, and they want to explode in that culture, and, re, and explode in the good sense. They, you want to unleash that performance, you want to tap in those potential. And so Mark, how do we do that with a, um, when we're merging two cultures, and um, you know, one has a, a distinctly different culture from the other, all the employee and engagement factors are sort of universal. But in defining what the ideal blended culture would be, how do we how do we do that and make sure that we remain true to the principles of of, of those key engagement drivers that Stefan just mentioned? Yep. Well, I think first of all, we got to make sure that we respect the history of both companies. If I'm acquiring your company and spending, who knows, $2 billion to buy your company, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people do that and then start uh, downgrading what who they bought. They say, well, look, you guys do this, and that's stupid. We don't do that. We do it a different way. You don't even have a, a capital approval process that's efficient, etc., so they, they come in, and the first words out of their mouths are things that really dump on the uh, culture and the way of doing business of the organization. So one of the first things that we find is, is interesting and very effective is we, have, we develop what we call a shared history, where Company B articulates their history and what the key highlights have been of their history that's led them to where they are today, and then Company A does the same thing with each other. So now they both have an appreciation for and some degree of respect for the past. And then we utilize that group to say, okay, and as we look at the challenges we have, now that we're twice as big as we were before and we have a broader reach, et cetera, which are the ones that we ought to uh, uh, gravitate towards as far as des- describing our culture? And of course, in both companies, you probably have, if you have ten main items, probably six of them are they're common but just use different words. So you find the correct way to articulate that. And then you hammer out between the others, what is going to describe this company? And you, you utilize the people from both organizations who are equally, uh, have equal voices in that to come up with, here's the way we're going to go forward. This doesn't take forever. This just takes, you know, a couple of days, and you can come up with a very articulate way to say, here's what we, as the new company, are going to represent and how we're going to behave. And if you do that, then you now have an organization that feels that they have a piece of the future and not just something being imposed on them. So that's, that's what we found that works extremely well, is to develop that shared history so you show respect for both, and then you uh, pick, you, you develop the new, and you do that fairly quickly. Very early in the game, in the, in the example I used earlier, they did that before we announced. 
so that when we announced we were able to articulate, here's what this team has come up with as the articulation of the culture and the, the dynamics that we're going to have going forward. I love the idea of this team. Tell me a little bit about the makeup of that team. Is it multiple levels? I mean, how, how do you select? How big is the team? Um, you know, how often do they work together? What does that look like? Well, the way we uh, the way we've done it in, the, in various organizations is you have to have a multi-level group. Uh, <laughs> just a quick anecdote: we were with an organization here about a month ago. And we brought up the subject of uh, articulating the culture, and this one individual, very high up in the organization, says, well, we've already got a statement. I mean, we, we use it all the time. Uh, everybody knows what it is. And all the other senior managers around the table said, I never heard of it. I don't, I don't, I don't know what it is. So what happens is you've, you've got to get down through the organization, I believe. So you want to have at least one person from near the top but you have to have people down in the organization that uh, are living the way we actually do work as opposed to the way we like to talk about how we work from each organization. So you've got to have somebody from sales. You've got to have somebody from manufacturing. You have to have somebody from R&D, somebody from accounting, uh, but multiple, multiple levels. And then make it clear to them that we're here to listen to what you come up with. We're not giving you any directions up front, etc. And then when they come back with their recommendation, you might fine-tune because you have a, some particular views that uh, uh, you think are critical. But generally speaking, 90% of what they come up with is where we end up going. And it's very powerful because you're able to not only articulate where we're going, but reflect on the fact that you know most of this we pulled from both companies some of it from one and some of it's new so people can feel that this is in fact something that reflects the bulk of the new company not something imposed by one person or from one to the other uh, that's great um, so Stefan I'm wondering how do you take these um, important tips and approaches that um, you know clearly are intended to involve multiple people, you know, really touch as many people as possible in terms of that post-deal integration um, um, and, and, and operational. So, so how, how do you take this now and translate it to day-to-day work? I mean, how, how does this translate to how you manage performance? How does this, you know, I mean, I, I know that you have, you have done this on all sides of the transaction, right? Once you get into integration and you've you've managed to uncover now what that blended culture looks like, you've un- managed to uncover what looks best um, from from the perspective of everyone involved. Now we got to get to work. So what does that look like? Yep. So you know, Mark alluded to a couple of the things that we do. There are there are you know uh, a, a lot of uh, meetings and workshop. The, the beauty of, of some of the approach is that because of the effectiveness uh, of, of those approach, it, it's not a protracted long six months type of things. It can be uh, light touch. Uh, it's not going to be you know uh, days uh, or weeks at a time. It's going to be some very powerful moment like uh, Mark was talking about a shared history experiment, which is very powerful. 
Um, of course, if you have you know hundred years of history on both sides, it's going to take a little longer than if you are a ten-year-old acquiring a five-year-old uh, organization, because just uh, the history is shorter. But the 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 sequence of event is basically dictated by what we find in the audits and, and, and how aligned and or far are we. The level of um, and, and intensity of intervention is as well dictated by this. The, the, the delivery, the, the, the what we do is takes different format. There we are dealing with people. There is obviously communication, talk, being together. Uh, there is a number of things that uh, I will say is a bit of our secret sauce of how we do and the approach we, we, we're doing them and how we sequence them. But really, and the survey again is there, we, we have the tool to measure the effectiveness and how well it works. So it, it's kind of a complete uh, package that, 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 we, that we deliver. So, so you, you have the, the diagnostic at the front end that tells you what to do. You have the recommendation that says here is what we would do um, and how to do it. Um, then there is the execution period, the doing it, and then, you know, as in everything, there is the measurement, uh, uh, ongoing measurement of to, to verify that it is indeed progressing uh, according to plan. And, and all of that data, very objective uh, information gets back to the leadership team so that they can say, okay, we're doing well here. There is a little, you know, uh, there seems to be off track here because something new or we had not anticipated that X, Y, and Z thing. Um, or or some part of merger is get squashed for regulation purposes. We have to divest something because otherwise the merger would not go through. So those kind of things, you know, uh, of course, uh, comes into play. But you know, it's a fairly tight package by by, by this time. So it's it's quite efficient. How do you test? Um you know, so once you've integrated and you are, you're rolling out these interventions and things, how do you test and re and course correct along the way? I mean, how do you go without doing another full survey? Yep. How do you in real time continue to test and test and test levels of engagement and the efficacy of the programs yep. that you've? So it's not the it's not the annual big strategic survey. It's much more. It's much more what we call our pulse uh, tool, which is basically a feedback uh, system, which allows you to deliver a campaign of questions depending on, on the issue uh, we measure. There is different frequency at which they're being asked. It's a platform that the company supports uh, the, or, or our clients use, basically, and they deliver a series of questions very targeted to either groups in uh, departments and or specific areas of our organization, they get the feedback, there's tools that analyze all, all those things, and the comments get filtered, and then you have a pretty good sense of how you're doing. Um, so little meaty to explain it in 30 seconds, but that's basically, <laughs> it's basically a very light touch instrument uh, that gives you a good continuous sense of what the pulse of your organization is at. Yeah, I mean, it's gotta be so valuable to be able to, to, to do that. Mark, I'm gonna give you the, I'll give you the last 30 seconds to- uh, Well, I would just say that uh, the, the thing to keep in mind is that uh, all of our surveys, it's all anonymous. And so you don't have to worry that they're telling you necessarily because they think you might know who's talking. You don't know. You don't have any idea. But the beauty of the pulse process is that it allows you, if you see a particular 
provocative or critical statement, uh, you can respond to whoever that is, you don't know who it is, and ask them if they're willing to come forward and talk to you about that important element. And in yep. many cases, yep. they in fact will. Well, I, I'm going to, uh, that's that's very important and um and it's good to be able to engage your employees that way. Uh, I'm going to thank you both for being here with me today. Uh, it's been a great show. I appreciate your insights. And uh, I want to say to the audience that uh, I'll be back here this time uh, next week on the Voice America Business Channel. Thank you for tuning in. And thanks, guys, again for being here. Thank you for having us. Have a great thank weekend, you. everybody. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening this week. You can tune in live to Beyond Financials, the people side of mergers and acquisitions, every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Please join your host, Sonia Weigel, again next week.